0: What I wanted to start the show with today is the protecting of your points. How many of you pull out your cards, your PC Optimum cards, or maybe it's your Air Miles, whatever. You know, we've got all these different cards that eventually lead to points or cheaper gas, or maybe we get some free gear at uh, the grocery store, whatever it ends up being. Well, right now it is becoming big business. Criminals are finding value in the points that you collect from various outlets. To talk about this a little bit more, the founder of Rewards Canada, Patrick Soika, kind enough to join me. Patrick, how are you today?
1: uh thanks for having me on your show rob
0: well no problem and i thought that this was a really uh great time for us to talk about it because obviously we're still coming out of christmas and we've just gotten our first bills back from visa or mastercard and these points are something that we lean on heavily in these months where we're a little thinner and now we're finding out that there are certain people out there that see the same value in it but the unfortunate part is it's not their card how do we protect our points
1: yeah, so there's numerous ways you can go about it. It really depends on the program, but most functionalities have um, enabled like two-factor authentication. So that's probably your your main route is to go with that route. Um, is to put in the two-factor authentication. I know me, you know, I like say with my Aeroplan, Air Canada Aeroplan account, I have two-factor authentication. So when I log in, I have to go to my actual email and get a code from my email, and then you know input it so I can log in. Um, and you know, I, you know, I know some people don't like two-factor authentication because it had that extra step, but you know, we're talking about loyalty points and currency here, and those are almost as equivalent to like money. So it's just like your bank account. You want to keep it as safe as possible. And then, of course, updating your password as, as much as you can.
0: One of the other things that I think we have to touch on is passwords. And, and you talk about two-factor authentication, which obviously banks and everybody seems to be leaning towards because of its effectiveness. But the password is still a big piece of this puzzle. If you're using the same password for A, B, and C, you can't use it for D, can you?
1: No, exactly. You need to try and use different ones or use, um, you know, more complex ones more often. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's companies out there that make software that are password managers or some of us like, like me, it's just a book. I write it down, right? <laughs> I might change it. Uh, you know, there, there's ways you can keep track of your passwords. Even a lot of the browsers now they, they they help you develop secure passwords and it saves it right away in the browser for you. Um, I, I would hope that that's, safe enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not a tech expert in terms of how how safe the browser safety is, but in terms of updating your passwords, doing stuff like that can definitely help it out.
0: You know, one of the other things that I think um, is these data breaches that we're seeing that happen from time to time, they might not even have your card or the number, but the fact that they have your address and they have all of this other information now are point cards in the same conversation as protecting, obviously, all of your other cards, your bank uh, and your credit card when it comes to these data breaches? Do you, yeah, I guess I would say, would you be changing the number, changing the actual card itself when you hear of a data breach?
1: Um, it really depends on the program. But, yes, that may happen. Um, that you'd have to reach out to the program if so you can change the number or you find out, I guess, you know, find out what the details of the data breach is. But, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it probably does not hurt to change your accounts. I know personally I've never done that. And a lot of people I've talked to haven't done that. Um, It just, I think with a lot of the loyalty programs, it comes back to them, you know, having you update your account to a new password, to a new login, um, you know, if you're using a username to change all that type of stuff. Um, But yeah, well, you know, once, once the, once these, um, fraudsters or or hackers and that get get a hold of your your personal information like that it's definitely tough because they sometimes they'll make brand new accounts in your name Mm. and that you know and then they call and say oh you know what i lost my card my name is so and so here's my address and and if you get maybe a a less versed or less trained um, customer service agent on the other end they're like oh yeah i'll transfer your old account to you here to your new account and unfortunately you know and that and that's not you taking care of that. So so yeah, there's there's so many ways that they go about this. But of course, you know, we're trying to stay on top of it. There's even groups out there. There's an association called the Loyalty Security Alliance, which is credit card companies, airlines, hotels, all get together and they they actually have conferences and get together and talk about the best ways to combat the fraud.
0: Patrick Soika, founders of Reward Canada, joining us here on the Jazz Jewel Hall Show. Patrick, um, you mentioned calling in, and let's say, for example, I'm just going to throw a scenario at you here. Um, Let's say you've realized that somebody has taken 10,000 or 20,000 points away from you, and now you're calling these agencies saying, hey, can I get a reimbursement on these points that were taken from me fraudulently? Is that an easy process? Is that something you have to go out and prove, or is it almost an impossibility?
1: Uh, again, I think it comes down to to the program and what those were redeemed for. I, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, um, some programs easily giving it back because they'll see, okay, well, you know, this person lives in this city and these points were redeemed on the other end of the country, you know, at a time, or you know, they'll see something like, oh, you know, somebody made redemptions for Starbucks gift cards out of your account at three a.m. in the morning. You know, there's there's some 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 of these that seem pretty obvious. Yeah, you you were a victim of fraud. And the if you can prove to the program, you know some loyalty people will just give you a point. Yeah, you know where this so happened, Go change your password right now, and we'll update your account. We'll put the points back in there. Was others will want to make sure they're like, well, we need to confirm that you didn't give out your password or you didn't give your PIN. You know, you didn't start in those regards. Um, but I think a lot of the ones in the other cities, some programs you have to be careful because I know some programs you can redeem points. This happened at Air Miles a few years ago. You could redeem points at the T- before they switched over to Team C- Plus. Uh, the till just by giving your 11, yeah, 11-digit 11 number. Mm. So some people would just randomly give out an 11-digit number and they'd be like, oh yeah, there's $10. You want $10 off your groceries? And people would say, yes, even though it wasn't their accounts. So those are some things to be careful of. And the C-Plus is, you know, uh, still has that very easy way to redeem points at sobi So that's something you have to be careful of. And basically with any loyalty program, it's just like your bank accounts. You should be checking them on a weekly basis, Um, If not more, just to, you know, and then you can catch these quicker and, you know, call in. Because I know some programs have a time window before you, you know, that you can report this. If you take too long to report it, then, you know, you're, you're
0: out of luck. Patrick, great information. Thank you for the time and for the awareness. Let's do this again.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much.
0: A handful of new taxes announced by the federal government started on January the 21st. Question I have for you. Have you noticed... What taxes are still to come, including the beer tax? BC's carbon tax is going to go from 65 cents up to 80 cents. So, yeah, there's another, I don't know, 15 to 20 cents that could be on your gas bill per liter by the time we roll around to April and May. Uh, To talk about this and a few other tax-related issues, Carson Binda is the BC Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Carson, thank you for making time for me on a Monday.
2: Hey Rob, it's always my pleasure to uh, come on and chat with the lovely folks at CKMW. Well,
0: they're 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 glad to have you, fella. And I guess right out of the gates, let's get into the nitty gritty—the thing that we always look for on our pay our pay stub: the CPP, the Canadian Pension Plan. Now, with a couple of maximum amounts, and uh, there are people in a certain group that could get an additional four percent of the amount of money that they make between what is sixty-eight and seventy-three thousand, which actually could be a bit of a burden.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So folks who are making $73,200 or more this year will be on the hook for about $4,055 in the two CPP taxes in 2024. That's an increase of about $301 this year. And you have to remember here, Rob, folks who are making $73,000, those aren't fat cats. That's a solidly middle-income family. So with the CPP increase, we're going to see middle-class Canadians being hit harder and harder than they were last year.
0: And there's no real way around that for the simple fact that the reality is, is it's kind of like death and taxes. I know that's a, a joke you probably hear all too often, but the reality is, is there's no way to opt out of that one, is there?
2: No, look, if you're making an income in Canada, you will be paying those payroll taxes. And uh, look, I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of families, solidly middle-class families, who have an extra $300 laying around this year. So it's coming at a bad time. It's coming at a time when we know food banks are already seeing record-breaking demand, when folks, uh, especially here in B.C., are having a harder time than ever putting a roof over their head, making those mortgage or rent payments. So this is a really poorly timed uh, tax hike on our payroll.
0: It is Carson Binda, a BC director for the Canadian Taxpayer Federation, joining us here on the Jazz Joel Hall show. As of January 1st, people operating short-term rentals in jurisdictions where they're banned or pretty much anybody whose short-term rentals are non-compliant will now not be able to claim any expenses on the property. I think that's going to catch a lot of people off guard.
2: It is. And look, as we're moving into a time when we're expecting to see increased tourism in B.C., we all know that big names like the Rolling Stones and Taylor Swift are coming to perform in B.C. We know that we're online for, uh, for FIFA in 2026. Uh, these new uh, tax hikes on short-term rentals are really poorly timed once again, especially as we're gearing up to have the eyes on the, of the world on us for those big events.
0: Well, speaking of those big events, I want to get into a couple that are ready to debut on April the 1st. One is just an extension of a tax already in place. The other one I think is going to raise some eyebrows, and we've heard about it back east. We're going to get a little taste of it out here even more, is the beer tax. Do you think that's something that is – you use the phrase already ill-timed, but do you think, especially with everything coming up and the struggles that our F&B industry are facing, that this one is just something that's going to have people rolling their eyes at the cost of a a good old-fashioned beer
2: Oh gosh, Rob, you've hit a sore spot with me. I truly <laughs> think this beer tax, this increased tax on beer, wine, and spirits, which is about a uh, 5% tax hike coming in on April 1st, is is horrible from the federal government. We know that most brewers, most uh, vineyards, and most distilleries in Canada are in small rural communities. We also know that most of them are small businesses. So anytime you're jacking up the taxes that small businesses, mom and pop shops in predominantly rural communities are paying, that's a bad move. Rural communities and small businesses in general need our support. What they don't need is for the federal government to add to their cost of doing business, to jack up the taxes that consumers will pay for their product. But hold on here, Rob, because the liquor tax increases, they get even worse. This is an automatic tax hike. That means that our MPs, the folks we elect and send to Ottawa to represent us, they don't even get a say in it. Justin Trudeau has said that the taxes are going up, so up the taxes go. Regardless of what you feel about alcohol, regardless of whether or not you like cracking open a cold one with your buddies after a long day of work, automatic tax hikes are wrong. They are unaccountable, and that's unacceptable.
0: All right, I'm going to sneak this one in, and I know this is going to be a kick in the knee as well. i got to have been a minute here for you, Carson. The B.C. carbon tax is going to go up to 80 cents from 65 cents, and this could add another 17 to 20 cents per liter on the gas bill. Uh, You mentioned Justin Trudeau. Is there any way that he's going to give some reprieve, or can we just expect this on April 1st?
2: So this carbon tax, the two carbon taxes we pay in B.C. are administered by our provincial government. Now, there's a there's a federal backstop. There's a federally mandated minimum price that we have to meet. But right now in B.C., we already pay the highest tax burden per liter of gasoline or diesel fuel anywhere in the country and anywhere in North America. You know, folks in California like to talk about the tax burden they pay. Well, they need to hold on because here in B.C. it's even worse. So what we need to see uh, Premier David Eby doing is taking a, a page out of Premier Wob Canoe in Manitoba's playbook and cutting, not hiking, those fuel taxes.
0: So for California, I guess people in B.C. say, hold my beer. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no pun punishment. Right. Hold my dramatically <laughs> overpriced beer after April 1st. Carson, you stop
0: by any time. I love the energy and the insight. Uh, thank you for making time for me on a holiday Monday.
2: Uh, it's always my pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, Elon Musk let go of nearly 80% of Twitter's workforce just over a year ago, and yet the social media giant continues to plug along. They're now known as X... They lost just 13% of their users since his arrival, yet the stock index is up nearly 20 cents per share since this time last year. Musk changed the way social media companies and staff operate, or has he? To talk more about this, Andy Barrar, our tech and digital lifestyle expert at handyandymedia.com. Andy, happy Monday. Hi, Rob. Well, let's get into this. Elon Musk, obviously not uh, everybody's cup of tea, but when he bought Twitter Now Notice X, he cut and cut and cut some more. And a lot of people thought that that would be the beginning of the end, but it, it's not the case.
3: Yeah, I remember that time uh, very, very uh, closely, Rob, because it was like a soap opera. And what was crazy is when he purchased Twitter for $44 billion, the first thing he did is he walked into Twitter headquarters um with a sink and his caption was let that right. sink in. <laughs> and within a week, Rob he slashed about half of the workforce at Twitter. And I knew people at Twitter Canada who lost their jobs that I used to like, you know, communicate with, but it, it, it you know, we knew that he was going to make cuts. Nobody could forecast that he was going to do it so quickly. And then like you mentioned, we thought this will be the end of Twitter. We saw a, a bunch of others that tried to take away. There was that sky or blue sky and all these other different type mastodon, all these other um, Twitter replicas, but they never, pe- they never really took off. And people are still using Twitter, which is now known as X. And he's doing it with a, a, a more than at least half of the staff that he had when he first purchased it.
0: They're currently saying 1,300 on staff, which is mind-boggling to me considering what they were at. But my question, Andy, is if Twitter can get by for even a couple of months on a fraction of that staff, how many of those folks were actually necessary? Is that a question that we can even answer at this
3: point? Well, you have to remember, Rob, it, that was a public company, uh, Twitter, before he went. it went private when he bought it. And you can just imagine, put yourself in his shoes— where you buy this company and now you're looking around and you're like, "Well, what do you do? You know, what do you do? What's your job?" <laughs> and a lot of them, you know, they had like a public relations department, they had a marketing department, and all the typical departments a big company would have, but it re- really wasn't necessary to have you and he preferred engineers. In fact, he would stay up o- overnight and ask people to pull all-nighters with them with the engineers doing some coding. So he really kept those types of people and he wanted to know, like, are you with me or are you against me? Like, if you're not a pro Elon Musk kind of uh, person, then, you know, the door's over there. And, and essentially that's what he did. There's a lot of lawsuits on compensation still go ongoing because of that, that huge layoff that he did. But Twitter is still functioning. The question is, is it functioning better or worse with Elon Musk? Because you have to remember 80% of the company's trust and safety teams, those are teams of engineers. He laid them off and that alienated a lot of advertisers because advertisers want content moderation, but Elon Musk inherently does not want any content moderation. He wants it to be the the kind of like town hall where you could say whatever you want. And so that's the dissonance that he has is his beliefs and what the advertisers want. And he's even told his advertisers to go F themselves. Yep. So <laughs> a very, very controversial man who now owns this social media company that people can't stop using. And the Super Bowl was just a case in point of the amount of traffic and activity that was happening during the Super Bowl. The question is, Rob, was that authentic activity or were there a lot of bots at the same time that the Super Bowl was happening? And that's the big question a lot of advertisers are asking.
0: Well, there's definitely bots out there. I can speak from that from even my humble account with a mere 12,000 compared to some of the big boys here. Andy Barrar is the tech and digital lifestyle expert at HandyAndyMedia.com. Joining me here on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Let's talk about some of the other companies because back in November, uh, I think it was Stripe and Meta, which is Facebook's parent company. They were going to let a percentage go. I think it was 13 or 14% of their workforce. Amazon, uh, the parent company of Google, announced cuts as well. Everybody seems to be cutting down. I'm wondering if this is a trickle-down effect from Elon, or was this just going to happen regardless?
3: I think a lot of it had to do, Rob, with the economy. Um, tech companies, typically, when things are good, they love to hire, and a lot of that happened during the pandemic. Everything was going digital, so they were on a hiring spree. But at the same time you know, they're, they're still have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. So they're trying to make money. And one way, if you're not generating revenue, you usually cut costs. And that's what happened. And it happened. It was a big issue in the tech industry. You know, I would look at my LinkedIn profile and I would just see, Again and again, people noticing that or or announcing that they've been laid off and they're all within the tech industry. So when it when it's good, you know, things are great and the jobs are out there. But when it's bad, you know, a lot of jobs, if it's not necessary, get cut, especially in the tech industry.
0: Oh, I've noticed that even in the gaming industry, having been at EA, my first year recording. Uh, the NHL version for their their program the day before was Black Tuesday for lack of a better phrase and departments were let go and I remember walking in I was so happy excited and they're like today's the day you should probably just put your head down and go record because it was a lot do you get into that industry knowing that that's essentially you're hired to get fired at some point or uh, how do you manage it do you stay at a place for five years knowing you're gonna have to be on the move?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's so different from like the generation of our parents where you would get a job, you would get a pension, you would stay loyal to that company. Yep. That does not happen in the tech industry. You know, you might be at a company for two, three years and then you move on either because you were headhunted from another company, gave you a better offer or you got laid off and you had no other choice but to try to get another job. And then when with a lot of remote work now, you know, it, the, the things have changed in the tech industry because you could be a really good, you know, quality talent and live somewhere in like in a small town where it's much more affordable and then still work at a big multinational company like Google or Meta. So, you know, that things have changed a lot in the tech industry. They used to have like these really uh, nice offices, Rob, where they had like ping pong and they had beer Fridays yep. to try to attract the best talent. <laughs> but you, the, the, the problem with it, there's no loyalty in tech. It's not like the old days of our, of our parents where you could, you know, get a job. And you would be there for decades. Uh, th- those days are gone.
0: But it keeps you busy, doesn't it?
3: Well, it keeps me busy because it's it's the, the tech industry changes <laughs> so fast. You know, just with AI right now, yep. just imagine what is happening with all these jobs, mine included. You know, I'm a writer and I'm already uh, having a lot of issues trying to battle with uh, AI competing for those kind of writing jobs. And I don't know if you just saw Sora what OpenAI just announced, Rob, where they're doing text to video. So you can yes. make videos just like you could with ChatGPT, you know, things are changing so fast.
0: Very dangerous and exciting times, all at the same time. Andy, thank you for the conversation. I love chatting with you about all things tech. Let's do it again. Thanks, Rob. Kelowna is set to open up a group of 60 micro homes that bring people out from the shelters and provide a small community for them. And the question they have for you this afternoon is, should Vancouver look to create a similar community where, uh, you know, people can come together, feel safer, maybe feel like they're on their way back? And where, if we did do this, should it go? Michael Geller is the president of the Geller Group, kind enough to join me. Michael, good afternoon.
4: Uh, Thanks for inviting me.
0: It's my pleasure. So obviously we've seen these uh, pop up in Toronto. Kelowna is getting through the red tape to make sure that they can have these micro homes up in short order. Um, I want to first start with the community itself. Is this something that would be easy to put up or is there a lot of red tape and a lot of hurdles that would get in the way of this?
4: Well, as was reported, this was done very, very quickly in Kelowna because the situation with so many people living in tents, with all of the inherent danger that came with that, there was a lot of support. And uh, this, these homes were built in basically four months from the conception to completion. And uh, for those who haven't actually seen them, they look like little white um, uh, storage huts, if you like. But, uh, and over time, I suspect they'll get colored up and decorated. The fact is, though, Rob, we have done something similar in Vancouver. We haven't done exactly the same thing, but many people are familiar with the the modular, temporary modular buildings that were put up. And as some know, I, I initially proposed this during my failed attempt in the 2008 election. But unfortunately, the Vancouver experiment did not work because although the homes were very, very attractive and comfortable, They were too expensive to relocate, which is exactly the opposite of what was intended.
0: You have obviously been in the planning phase. Uh, We'll get into the house itself, the, the shed style home that it is. But if we're talking larger numbers, I mean, you've seen the pictures of what's coming out of Kelowna is this something that you think um, infrastructure-wise could work at a crab park or or somewhere? Because we do have small pockets of these, but we're talking about building a community here of 80, 100, 120. Is that doable, or is Vancouver just not the right place for it?
4: No, I think it is doable, because all you have to do is just look at the desperate situation of so many people living in tents and trying to create structures. Uh, We have to do something. And uh, whether they're small little white 6 by 10 boxes or whether or not they're like workforce trailers, which are decorated a little bit from the outside, unfortunately, it's just simply too expensive and it takes too long to do these permanent buildings. But temporary solutions like this can be done quickly, and I think they should be done. I say that, though, Rob, recognizing... Most people know there's nothing more permanent than a temporary building. So you do have to think about how long do you want them to be in that place and before they're moved on somewhere else. And there are some solutions to that. I
0: would be curious to know of the cost efficiency by having these people in a shelter as opposed to having them in their own little dwelling. Um, because like you said, the modular home, obviously there's an expense to it. How much would one of these units cost to put up, Michael? I mean, not to put you on the spot here, but if no. we're talking about these little uh, individual homes, what are we talking ballpark-wise?
4: Well, I think we're they're talking certainly under $100,000. Uh, probably somewhere between fifteen and a hundred thousand dollars because they do have electricity they do have heating and and so forth they're not just garden sheds they 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 don't have bathrooms they don't have kitchens, but they are very habitable and when you look inside you, and then you compare it with what's what it's like to be in a tent and Sub-zero weather, the, these are, I think, a solution. It's interesting, Rob. I, when I first proposed something like this in the downtown east side, uh, Jean Swanson uh, was very upset and opposed it because she thought they'd look so ugly. And then when she saw what these things might look like, especially if they were wrapped with um, you know, vinyl, with decorative designs, Then she was upset because she thought they might be so attractive they wouldn't be relocated. I mean, if you look at what's there now or what's being proposed in Kelowna, I mean, it's a bit stark. Uh, They're all white boxes, but I think they could be, as I said before, coloured up. The one question which you've raised, though, is where do you put them? And I was intrigued to see the Kelowna tiny home community is being located in what's described as an industrial area. So then the question comes to mind you know will everybody just hang out there um, and become create their own community there, or will people want to head downtown? That's something I'll be intrigued to. To, to, to watch,
0: there's one located uh, just off of First Avenue, not far from Clark. And I thought that it was actually a quasi-smart place to place it because when you see the new uh, hospital, the new St. Paul's going up, it's, it's actually not that far from a location where they can get some help. So obviously, that's one piece of the equation. But I, I was so enamored just to get your thoughts on this, Michael, as to what it would cost, what does it look like, and is it doable? So all three, all three things sound like it is possible.
4: It, it is possible. And I want to compliment you for actually covering this story, because I think, you know, anybody who's been downtown, anybody's been down Hastings street and that whole downtown East diet area at night and seen what it's like, or even gone inside some of the shelters. And these are being proposed really to help people transition out of some of the shelters, which are just awful. Um, This is a solution. It's not perfect. There's no one perfect solution. There are support services. There are buildings with washrooms and with kitchens and with dining uh, to support this living accommodation. And so I think it's the right direction to go, whether they're all individual little buildings or whether they're one building with perhaps six homes. You can have different solutions, but we need to do something, and I compliment everybody who's managed to make this one happen, especially in four months.
0: Michael, your insight is second to none. Thank you for your time this afternoon.
4: It's my pleasure.
0: Well, late last week, Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure Rob Fleming said, amongst many things when he was describing this um, challenge with our overpasses, that, quote, it has never been easier to follow a route to guide a load safely through our highway system and avoid the potential for impact with infrastructure, unquote. I will politely disagree because we do have a number of overpasses that are starting to age, and as we get into hydraulic trucks and we get into a new era, it is getting paper thin where some of these trucks are just skating by, and I think there's a challenge to be had, but... BC operated Chohan Trucking had its license stripped away last week, and the challenge remains what do we do with our aging overpasses and the possibility of getting struck once again? Dylan Kruger is with the Delta City Councilor, kind of joined me uh, on a holiday Monday. Dylan, good afternoon.
5: Rob, thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's get into it because I've talked with a couple of people that said, you know what? Yes, you should be able to get around the province of British Columbia without fear of hitting an overpass. But I've also heard from some people that say those overpasses are a little long in the tooth and it could be time where we have to make some adjustments. Is that a fair assessment?
5: Yeah, look, we've we've had 34 of these uh, trucks hitting overpasses since late 2021. Uh, I think most people can agree. You know, one time's an accident, twice is an, an, an anomaly, uh, 34 times something is seriously wrong here. So, it's it's incumbent on us to look at everything, whether it be we've talked a lot about uh, mandatory fines and better education uh, for for companies and and the drivers that work for them, uh, suspension and cancellation of licenses, and the province certainly made the the right decision with. Uh, canceling that company's license as you mentioned uh, but we also need to look at our infrastructure and our right. infrastructure is aging and certainly as we are replacing uh, overpasses and and highway systems across Metro Vancouver and BC uh, we have to ensure we're we're upgrading it to to modern standards the 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 typical standard that you see on most of these roadways where these incidents have happened is about 4.7 metres of clearance. The new minimum for new construction is 5 metres, and, and we're mostly building around 5.2 metres. So uh, certainly it's something we need to look at when we're building new infrastructure in this province.
0: Obviously not a lot of people want to spend a lot of money on that. I had a caller the other day say, instead of building a new bridge, why don't you just redo the road and take it down a couple of grades so that it would uh, essentially give you that half metre of leeway. It, would that be a simple fix and maybe cost-efficient as well?
5: Well, I'm not sure about that, but but one thing we have to stop doing is is uh, doing uh, own goals and harming ourselves. Uh, to, uh, two of the uh, overpass strikes, which happened in my community happened along Highway 99. Highway 99 was actually slated for a full retrofit with the now-cancelled George Massey Tunnel Bridge replacement project and it's much more than a bridge it was actually a full uh, corridor improvement program from from Richmond all the way to White Rock that ironically would have upgraded at least a few of those those overpasses uh, up to modern standards and avoided those collisions. So we certainly can't be cancelling projects that are already in the queue. But there are other solutions and and a lot more cost effective solutions. You know, the BC Truckers Association has been talking about early warning systems. You see these, uh, Alberta certainly is a leader in installing these, and we see those in Saskatchewan as well. Costs about 25 grand a pop to install, uh, and that will actually trigger warnings for trucks that are carrying oversized loads prior to. Uh, hitting uh, th- that critical infrastructure and allowing them an opportunity to, to change course.
0: Is that something that Delta would be willing to look at? I mean, I know that you guys are in the midst of changing your your infrastructure, and yes, the Massey Tunnel is definitely a challenge, but is that something you guys would be willing to invest in?
5: Well, these are provincial routes. These are provincial highways, and at the end of the day, it's up to the Ministry of Transportation to make these investments. I think our role as a city is certainly much more in terms of advocacy, Uh, I had a motion that passed uh, at council last month uh, that's going to be going to the Union of B.C. Municipalities calling on the province to make legislative amendments to the maximum fines that they can hand out in these situations. Uh, There was a big news splash last fall when the fines were increased from, I think it was $115 all the way up to $575. But when you're talking about $2 million worth of damage every time one of these trucks blows through an overpass, uh, it, it's simply not good enough. So we need more, you know, real punitive fines uh, when these incidents happen. Uh, and certainly we need to advocate to ensure uh, things like early warning systems, uh, you know, that we at least start to explore those $25,000 solutions to avoid $2 million blow-ups.
0: Dylan Kruger is with the Delta City Council, joining me here on the Jazz Joel Hall Show. I remember when that announcement came out, and there were a lot of people that called in and scoffed at the fact that we went from 150 bucks up to 500 was that just incremental? Do you expect that to continue to rise? Do you think it was just a, a drip in the ocean, so to speak?
5: Yeah, and, and again, this—my understanding is this was the maximum they were able to do under current legislation. Uh, so legislative changes need to happen. But it's just—I mean, five seventy-five. That's that's the cost of doing business. That's not even close to something that would be sufficiently punitive. You know, we need something that is so punitive that that, uh, every single uh, company that has truck drivers on the road in B.C. uh, would would not only think twice, would never dare to put uh, an unqualified driver on the road. Every single one of these incidents is negligence and every single one of them is avoidable. Uh, there really is no excuse. So uh, we need to do much better than $575 fines.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Dylan, I know it's family day, so I'm going to let you get back to it, but thank you for your education and thank you for your insight today. Let's talk again.
5: Absolutely, Rob. Thanks for having me and happy family day.
0: Well, Donald Trump has tried his hand at selling a number of products over the years and we'll get into some of those, but Trump right now in the last twenty four hours, has gotten into the red hot sneaker game, the shoe game. Can Trump find a way to actually hawk his three hundred and ninety-nine dollar golden shoes named Never Surrender? Ironically debuted at sneaker con. We'll save that for another day. Show contributor, Jerry Mayor Judson joining me here. Jerry again, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. 400 bucks for these golden monstrosities. Gold with a big old T and That's their high the tops. Yes That's or That's the way no? to
6: describe them. Oh, under no circumstances. I don't think I would wear shiny gold shoes anyways, but then you're missing the best part. They got the American flag wrapped around the collar right. of the high top. Um, it's really good. There's only a thousand pairs that you can get, and uh, 10 of them are randomly autographed by the man himself.
0: So the story is, because obviously he was held, uh, I guess, what, $355 million I think in the New York? Tally
6: in, in, in just this last one, but I think that the tally of his actual, what he owes people over his various lawsuits now, I think we're up to 400 odd million, dollars, 412 or something.
0: So the reality is, is if he sells 800,000 pairs of these shoes, just mm-hmm. shy of a million... Mm-hmm. At four hundred bucks a pop, he could generate three hundred and twenty million dollars oh in revenue. <laughs> so the logic here, and everybody's laughing at Trump, but the reality is is and he's got Kanye, who oh. of course is huge with Adidas and Yeezys, which are not pretty to look at either. There is math in the background that says if Trump can debut these and they get hot because he only made a thousand, but he can make a bunch more that he might be able to offset his costs.
6: This that is incredibly shrewd. That is Trump style, shrewd business behavior. And especially if you only if you only need to sell 800,000 pairs of shoes if everyone who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, if they all are even 2020, if they all bought a pair of shoes, there you go. That's nuts. What, as, a, what a
0: thing. As crazy as it sounds, you can't put it past Donald Trump, former president of the United States. All right, I'm going to throw some products at you because these shoes aren't exactly the first time he's gotten into the, the game, if you will. He's tried a number of different things, including back in 2007, if we go back into the time machine, Trump stakes hundred and ninety-nine bucks for a twelve pack uh, nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars if you wanted a selection of sixteen top cuts. It lasted about two months. Would you have bought a Trump steak?
6: I don't think so and I'm gonna I say this every single show that I'm on, but I'm from Alberta and I feel like there exists better beef than Donald Trump's kind of stamp of approval. I, I would not,
0: would you? Um I wouldn't, and I'm a big meat guy I just i i don't know four hundred what was it $999? nine hundred and ninety nine dollars for sixteen yeah, ah. okay uh two thousand and six this one lasted nearly a decade Trump vodka
6: okay. Okay, sure. Well, lots of celebrities have gotten into the alcohol game. Every celebrity feels like has a wine or a vodka or a gin of some sort. That's not too out of pocket. I think given the amount of celebrity alcohol available, I would just get Snoop Dogg wine instead or something.
0: Which is really good.
6: I've had it. Yeah, 99 crimes. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think it's only 19 crimes.
6: Sorry, 19 crimes. My bad. You're thinking
0: of Donald Trump when he gets to the 99. Yeah,
6: sorry. I've got Donald Trump on the brain with his 91 crimes. Oh, that's
0: funny. And counting. How about this? One, Donald Trump branded ties Available at Amazon and eBay
6: Um, ah, uh, You can get Another tie anywhere else Would you get a Donald Trump tie? Does it have his face on him Or uh, is it just kind of like no. the Republican
0: red tie? I always get a kick out of his tie because you know If you read GQ and all these magazines they say that The a tie should tie. finish right at the start Of your belt buckle. Trump's is like An additional like seven or eight inches He's got a horsetail of a tie so It's swinging long. in the
6: breeze. Yeah. It's swatting Flies. Like I don't know why he's got a vi- And the way that he stands accentuates the length of the tie because he kind of prop pushes himself forward on his hips like that yes. and so it's all extra.
0: Even He's, more tie.
6: I, even more tie per tie.
0: How about this one? Perfume Mania uh, actually said success by Donald Trump. It's an eau de toilette that you can get for 30 bucks.
6: A $30 Donald Trump perfume, <laughs> but he's selling more perfumes on this website. I want the updated one. I want Victory 47 cologne instead for $100, $200, I think.
0: Mm, and he'll sell some of it. How, <laughs> How about this will. one, Trump deodorant?
6: No, no, I don't want to know what that smells like. I don't want to have Trump armpits, trumpets, if you will. Would you use Donald Trump Well, deodorant? it
0: says it is also named Success Uh, With notes of juniper, mandarin, ice red currant, coriander, frozen ginger, birch, bamboo leaves, geranium, musk. Complicated. And tonka, which I've never heard of before. Tonka
6: beans. Oh, that's something. I don't, I can't be clever about it, but that is something food. I know that. I think I would like that collection of ingredients in a gin, maybe, Mm. (laughs) but uh, not on a deodorant.
0: Trump coffee? Trump coffee.
6: I don't know. He, again, just from from the orange man, from the former president of the United States, he doesn't look like he knows very much about coffee.
0: Are you finally want to throw at you Trump mattresses?
6: No, I mean Trump- that writes
0: that writes its own jokes right there, doesn't it? <laughs>
6: Comes pre-stained and pre scandaled Oh, oh. <laughs> so, so that was too much. That was From too gross. From the stormy gross. collection. From the stormy yeah, collection. Of
0: oh. Bad. Well, you know what? We all laugh at Donald Trump, but he found his way to the presidency once. And if you look at the numbers right now, south of the border, believe it or not, shoes aside, he continues to lead in the polls. I have no idea why. I guess like. Oh, I have a great idea why. <laughs> because he's his like, fan base. Is incredibly loyal.
6: That's true. He has that, and uh, his fan base is so loyal to him. And they also might not particularly like the idea of a woman, even like a Nikki Haley. Even there is no sort of safe Republican choice for those guys. It's all Trump. This is I don't know. We all laughed it off in 2016, and look what happened. So uh, we gotta we gotta pay more attention. And geez, send better Dems. I don't know. November. November. It'll be for better or worse. We live in interesting times. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Watch, that's for sure. I'd be
0: curious to know what Joe Biden's shoe would be. Donald Trump's is gaudy and gold with big old American. <laughs> w- <laughs> would Joe Biden's be like a nighttime slipper? I was gonna say
6: <laughs> sleepy Joe's nighttime slippers. I don't want to use that name. Comes with but, an eye mask. <laughs> oh my god! He his shoes would be an empty box as he forgot to put them in there. Oh,
0: oh, fantastic!
6: Gosh, I love American politics. Just two very old men.
0: Yeah, it mm. is what it is. It Jerry, is it thank is. you thank for you. this. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there are a lot of things that you can see on the SkyTrain from time to time. Gosh knows we've all seen something that kind of caught our eye over the years of traveling, be it one zone, two zones, or three. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody make pasta on a SkyTrain until I went to TikTok the other day and saw a young gentleman hunched over making pasta out of a pan and doing a pretty good job of it. Alex Kasha is a restaurant owner locally, kind enough to join us here. Alex, Good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Rob, and happy, happy family day to everyone.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that. Alex, walk me through making pasta on a SkyTrain. Why and why?
7: <laughs> well, that, that was a pretty fun thing to do, actually. Um, well, the idea started that uh, it's out of our Spaghetti Sunday brand, um, clothing brand, we wanted to make content uh, and make videos of people making pastas in, in unusual spots around Vancouver. We knew there would be an attention-grabbing, and uh, that's what happened, actually. You know, TikTok is going crazy. Instagram as well. We got over 360 plays over in just a couple of days, and it's been crazy. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) something unbelievable.
0: Alex, from the time you put the oil in the pan till the time that you were finished and ready to serve, how many stops did it take?
7: Oh, uh, I guess. One, I was very well prepared. You know, I had to uh, be with the gas off, right? Yeah. Uh, I was. Uh, some people say that I was rushing to make a dinner for a date, but was not. Not actually the case.
0: And, and how were the riders around you? Were some of them scoffing, or did everybody get a kick out of it?
7: Uh, actually, I had a guy behind me that was like didn't at all, and I had also other people who just were looking to their pockets and grabbing their phone right away and tried to film me as well. So. Um, and somebody asked for pass as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're so. taking orders. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Alex,
0: was, uh, were you approached by security or transit police at any point?
7: Um, I, w- I was actually not. Uh, thank God. Uh, we were just doing like, a couple of stops, and it was uh, just a quick one, to be honest, just to do like uh, these uh, uh, merch videos and stuff um, that actually related with our store, Casa Rachel, that is located in Kitsilano. Um, so, no, I was not. <laughs>
0: Alex Cash is a co-owner of a restaurant here in Kitsilano, joining me here on the jazz Joe hall show. So you do it on the sky train and obviously that's gone viral. What's next? I mean, how do you top the sky train pasta?
7: well <laughs> well, I don't know like we do have actually already some content and videos ready to go. uh We really wanted to do like to do, to do videos that distract people from the drama. that's what all come from like our uh, merch says uh, more pasta, less drama, so basically it's all about it, so we're gonna we already have some content. I shouldn't spoil it, but we have like some fake car accidents coming through and some other things coming up. So then, just people while eating pasta, and there's all the drama around it and behind, right? But you know, what's the spaghetti and sauce and pasta? That's all we care about, right?
0: Alex, you have a fake car accident where you're eating pasta. Am I am I hearing that right?
7: <laughs> yeah, we're probably gonna have something next coming up. So stay tuned i guess yeah i guess
0: well thank you for the time today i thought it was it it was crazy it was quirky and i wanted to know the story behind it and uh, i now have it alex thank you for for your time
7: absolutely my pleasure thank you very much and you know this has been a fun fun little thing to for us and you know come and check it out our store we do have freshly pasta every day and see you soon
0: all right thank you very much yeah ciao right back at you